0: I'm a big believer. Awful resumes, they usually belong to great employees. Today, we're going to talk about looking through messy resumes and discover wow people. Hi, I'm Dava Mills, the Rebellious Recruiter, and I've been in the trenches of finding people for over 20 years. I've seen some messed up resumes in my time. I've coached potential employees on what to do to clean up their resumes, and I've spent a little extra time on the phone getting to understand skill sets, And I've discovered there are wonderful people out there that bring revenue and positive impact to the company they work for, just without perfect resumes. So today, we're going to talk about moving through the mess. So pull up a seat and let's chat. So 30 or more years ago, there were two ways to apply for a job. The first one was fill out an application in person. The second was hire a resume writer They'd interview you, and then they'd manually type up your resume, and you'd bring it to companies that advertised an opening. But you didn't need a resume to score a job with most companies. You just needed readable penmanship and be willing to spend some time at various companies dressed in your Sunday best just to fill out an application. When personal computers made things easier, people started writing their own, often terrible resumes. I'm one of them. And the resume became a companion to an on-site application. Usually with some note the applicant would make that would say, see resume. And then the company would kick it back to the applicant to say, no, you can't do that. You need to fill out your application so that when you sign on the last page on that legal disclaimer, you're saying you haven't lied on your application, right? They usually didn't tell applicants that secret, but that was what it was all about. What came next was the copy and paste game to an online application, which, by the way, is the number one thing candidates complain about in recruiting processes. I hear it from everyone. They find out about my recruiting background and I hear how awful online applications are and usually back it up with some sort of awful interview question. I'm finally seeing that resume writing, it's being taught in high schools on a regular basis with some high schools actually implementing interview training as well. It's about time and I'm so excited to see this. What this means, though, is an entire generation, the latter half of Gen X, part of my generation, and the first half of the millennials, they've never been trained on how to write a resume properly. And having a professional resume writer do a resume for them, it may not align with the needs of their pocketbook at the moment. So let's think about that. Most of the resumes you get, the applicant has never been taught the skill of resume writing. No wonder so many are so awful. So I'm going to jump subjects now just for a second. This episode continues to touch on the subject of emotional capital. While we talk about crappy resumes, I do have an upcoming series on emotional capital that will break down the process in detail. Until then, what is emotional capital? Emotional capital is the building blocks of an employment relationship. It's like a checking account. You, the employer, you make the first deposit. The ROI is the employee's loyalty. It's their expertise, and it's their commitment to make your company great. With that said, let's get started. I once worked with this stodgy recruiter. She specialized in payroll and HR placement. I was so new at recruiting, and I had just left a job as a glorified receptionist. The owner said he thought of me like an office manager, but I had never worked at a company that had HR or payroll as departments, so I literally didn't know what they were. This stodgy recruiter all decked out in her tiny gold bracelets and necklaces told me, you're only perfect twice in your life, the moment you're born and on your resume. Perfect resumes, they often belong to perfect interviewers. People tend to be perfect interviewers because they've had a lot of practice interviewing. I find that often awesome resumes and interviews, they belong to the shooting stars. People who sparkle at the beginning, but fizzle out fast. The best hires I've dealt with, they've had flawed resumes. It's just the way it is. Some years ago, I was recruiting for an executive assistant. I got a call from someone telling me they were qualified. She was super excited about the job, and I really enjoyed my brief interaction with her. She was so full of moxie and self-assurance, and I wanted to have this person around me. Then she emailed me her resume. I got an approximate four-page copy and paste into the body of an email message, and it was a complete mess. About four different fonts were used. There was no clear purpose as to the changing of the fonts. The font sizes were changing, sometimes in the middle of sentences. The first person of I was written in lowercase. Skills were listed out in job summaries. Words were misspelled. You get the picture. And the best part? She stressed her attention to detail. I went through the resume with a fine-tooth comb and she was not qualified for the executive assistant opening. And quite frankly, I was heartbroken. So I did something new for me. I emailed her back and I started the email with, I'm giving you this advice because I really like you. And I believe you have something to offer a company. You're not going to be happy reading this, but I think it will help you. And then I wrote a two-page long critique of her resume. I went line by line. My response to her, it took about 20 minutes of my time. A few months later, we had a referral-only receptionist opening. I tracked her down through an employee so it could be an employee referral. The employee told me that she was indeed upset when she got my response. But after a while, she was happy she got a response, as she'd been sending out her resume with no luck. She applied for the job. I received a near-perfect resume bullets and tab sets were all correct. The content was spot on. Grammar was solid. The fonts were the same. You get the picture. She was brought in for an interview with the CEO's personal assistant, and she nailed it. She got the job. Woohoo! Six months later, she was promoted. Our career paths both moved on, and I caught up with her a few years later, and she progressed into HR management. To say I'm elated for her is an understatement. She has absolutely earned it. So this is what I've learned. If you get a terrible resume, look at the length of the jobs and the type of jobs. Look for the common thread. If they're moving jobs every six months and there's no upward mobility, that's what you want to avoid. But what if you see upward mobility or some sort of increase in job duties? That means something is happening. You see, we don't have a career ladder anymore. There's numerous articles that talk about a career pyramid where a person is building a very broad base. And as they progress, each section gets a little bit more narrow, but it builds depth at the same time until you finally get to the top of the pyramid and whatever is at the top becomes the depth of what they have all the way through. Now, if they've been with the same company for over 10 years, again, you need to look at it from that pyramid strategy there might be something there and it's worth exploring. But if they had the exact same job without a change in duties, without a change in systems, and they never really had to learn to get deep into systems over 10 years, they might not be good for your company. This is something you have to explore. So what if there's a couple misspelled words? Well, if they aren't an English major and they're applying for an accounting job, I'm really more concerned with their ability to deal with numbers and Excel and ERPs, right? Similar for a sales job. How do they deal with people? Have you ever heard the phrase, take the message, but leave the mess? That's what this is about. Take into consideration what the job actually requires of a person and look for signs of that in the resume. Because there's a million reasons people have terrible resumes. Maybe they've been with the same company since graduating college, so they've never had to write a resume. Maybe they've been working for their parents and the business is being sold, but they didn't want to announce that it's a family company on their resume. Maybe nobody mentored them on how to look for a job. Maybe they've taken bad advice on how to write a resume. I once had someone update their resume, and I noticed the dates didn't match up to the first resume. A closer look, and he had hid his experience as a United States Marine, totally removed it from his resume, and altered his job dates. I called him back and asked why. Well, one of his friends said to not talk about that because someone might not want to work with him due to his military experience. Believe me when I tell you there is bad advice out there, and most of it is from well-meaning family and friends. Clear communication is vital in this process, but we have ways of hiding information on resumes that cause you, the business owner, to make assumptions. I don't like that, and I bet you don't either. So whatever the reason, there's a good chance they didn't put half of the relevant information down there on their resume, whether they were trying to hide something or not trying to hide something. So depending on the position you're hiring, reach out to the candidate. If written skills are required, shoot them an email stating, you might not like this email, but I'm helping you because I believe you have potential and I want to help. Then give them a few pointers about what you and any other employer wants to see in a resume. Remember, this isn't about you. It's about them. Email in this case if you are really nice to them. It's a way for them to let the information sink in without them needing to feel embarrassed or defensive if they get defensive with you over advice over the email, now you know that you've dodged a bullet. You don't want that type of person on your team representing your business when you give them free advice, right? This also tells you if they're coachable. Or as Pat Lencioni talks about in The Ideal Team Player, it's a way to find out if the person is humble, hungry, and smart. So my own interpretation on humble, hungry, and smart here is humble because they listen and want to be better, hungry because they follow through. And smart, because they'll implement specifically what you request in a way that communicates what they've done in the past. It might sound weird that written skills might not be reflected in a resume. Most people don't do well when they need to advertise what they do. It's human nature. And again, we have a full generation of talented people that have never been taught how to write a resume, and they don't know that theirs is awful. It's really that simple. So, by giving feedback, what you're doing here is building emotional capital. Emotional capital, it's the best resource you have at your disposal, especially because recruiting people is so nuanced and full of personal richness and experience. There's a ton of competition in the applicant pool out there. And remember, emotional capital isn't about you at first glance, it's about building your reputation through the candidate experience. Once you get the updated resume, Schedule a phone screen or a FaceTime or a Skype for a day or two later. You need to create some time that will allow the candidate to prepare and research you a little more. If written skills aren't required, then a phone call to the person is a better option. You don't need to focus on honing their resume. All you need to do is ask a few short, specific, required skill questions, put them in a template form with some checkboxes, have a short conversation with ease, Hey, I see you've been working at Jason's welding shop. What kind of welding are you doing? What size wire are you using? What positions do you weld in? Have you been certified in any of the weld types? Can you shoot me a copy of your certificates? How do you test the welds over there? I had a form like that that I used. I created a bunch of checkboxes with different wire sizes, position certifications like 1G, 2G, 3G, types of weld tests used, x-ray, ultrasound, brake tests, Types of welding like GMAW, FCAW, TIG, MIG. That way, I didn't have to remember what information I gathered, if it was missing or anything like that. I attached it to the resume and the application. I know, with a staple because I'm not a spring chicken and when I started that process, I did not have an electronic ATS. But a short conversation, it costs five to 15 minutes of your time. You'll get an immediate feel for how the candidate communicates and you'll want to know more about this person. It also builds much-needed emotional capital. Now, here's a really important part. Do not delegate the call to another person unless you are 100% certain they know acronyms and shop talk. I once called an office manager of a welding shop. She had passed on several qualified resumes because they didn't have the words FluxCore on them. Turned out she didn't know the acronym FCAW was FluxCore Arc Welding. So who knows how many perfectly qualified candidates she dismissed because no one gave her a cheat sheet or took the time to get detailed with her. And I'm sure she was highly embarrassed when I, a complete stranger, pointed this out to her. If you must delegate, you need to spend time training the delegate. You would never give your office keys to an employee without the alarm code. Same applies for people being gatekeepers. Don't just hand over the keys to growing your business without a cheat sheet of sorts. Schedule a time for them to do three, maybe five calls with you to get the hang of gathering information, and it should be done on a checkoff template. That way, there's nothing left to chance. Again, it's like that fishing rod. The first contact, no flexibility, especially if the person screening hasn't done that type of work. Over time, they will learn what works, what doesn't, and when to flex in an interview, but give them time. There will be flexibility later on in interviews, but initially, no flexibility. Once a person passes that pre screen, because that's not a screening test, that's a pre screen, bring them in for a face to face interview. Skilled positions are best served when you do a visual interview or a walk around the shop type interview, as many skilled workers aren't decent verbal communicators. They're visual communicators, they do a visual job. So we need to inspire conversation through visual cues, right? So if you don't know what a visual interview is, episode 003 covers that and why it's an important interview style. So look for it in the library of the Rebellious Recruiter podcasts. In the meantime, please know that by reaching out to people just to coach them, it's an easy way to build emotional capital and to build a stellar reputation for your company while bringing on stellar people. And that's a wrap for today. Thanks for listening to The Rebellious Recruiter. A quick reminder, I'll be bringing you new information every Monday and an occasional interview later on in the week with another thought leader. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening to this and comment, rate, and review. And share this podcast with other leaders that are looking to build out-of-this-world teams and maybe have a penchant for defying best practices. Go ahead and check me out at millsgroupllc.com and drop me a line there with your thoughts or questions. I might use your subject matter in upcoming shows. And thank you for listening. I know you only have so many hours in the week, and I'm grateful to spend this time with you. Until then, make it a great day. I'll see you on the flip side. This podcast is produced by TH3 Entertainment.